0: Nuclear energy doesn't exactly sound friendly. The phrase alone probably makes you think of bombs, the Chernobyl or Fukushima disasters, or worst of all, chemistry class. Someone telling you they want to build anything nuclear anywhere even remotely near your house is probably something that would make you stop and say, well, wait, what the hell? Today, we're going to try and figure out just that and get some answers as to why the hell the government is pouring money into something called small modular reactors right here in Ontario. Joining us on the sidelines today to talk about small modular reactors is Garrick Patterson, a PhD candidate in nuclear physics at McMaster University. Thanks for joining us, Garrick.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. So
0: let's uh, start with a little refresher course here for me. What exactly is nuclear energy?
1: Yeah, so I usually refer to it as like the most complicated way of boiling water. Um, But it, it traditionally just starts with that really famous equation that everyone hears about, but not many people use, E equals mc squared. I'm sure you've heard of it, probably.
0: I I think I may have once or twice.
1: Yeah. Um, So basically it just means you can get a lot of energy out of a really small amount of mass. Um, And in nuclear energy, what we use is an atom called uranium. And we can actually split this apart and get a lot of energy out of it. And so when we do this, it releases other products, which we call fission products, which is the, the reaction that fundamentally runs the reactor and those fission products and other radioactive materials will deposit heat in the fuel which we carry away with water to produce electricity
0: so you're saying by just breaking up a mass so just by breaking up a thing we release energy so does that mean i can just like tear things apart and it will just like release massive amounts of energy
1: I think it releases stress, but not energy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just the the. I mean, the physics explanation is really what the energy is contained in. What binds these things together? So, like the same thing that's binding the sheet of paper, or whatever. Whether it, those are usually chemical bonds, whereas these are nuclear bonds, and they're very strong and have a lot of energy involved in them.
0: Oh, so it's because of the like the atomic level of what we're looking at
1: yeah so like breaking them apart um overcomes a lot of energy and in breaking apart these atoms the the energy comes out from the the sort of bonding of these of these small little particles
0: and i guess it takes uh, a a lot more energy to break apart an atom than it does to rip atoms apart from each other right yeah um okay so what exactly is the difference between that Right between nuclear energy traditionally and these small modular reactors that are in the news right now.
1: Right. So the main similarity really is the fission we just described a little a little bit ago. Um, the The primary difference is in the small and the modular. So the small being exactly that the reactors are quite a bit smaller. Um, right now they have sort of ten times lower uh, energy output. Um, And the plant sizes that are sort of being developed right now and proposed are the size of a football field, which is still quite large. But if you look at the traditional station that's out in Pickering, the entire plant takes up about 400 football fields. So it's quite a huge difference there in terms of size. And in, in terms of the modularity of it, it Usually reactors are built on site because the components are really complicated to be shipped out. They're huge um, and take a lot of people. Whereas these ones, they would be built in a factory and transferred over and just put in place, which is a much less intense construction endeavor.
0: Oh, so kind of like, you know, how sometimes you're driving down the highway and you'll see like a full house on the back of a truck and it says like extra wide load kind of thing. So like that.
1: Right. Yeah, and that's what you'll be seeing and except it'll be a cylindrical vessel that probably you don't want to live in. It doesn't have too many windows.
0: So why are we looking at small reactors? What what exactly is the benefit here to them being tiny? Like besides being able to build them off-site, isn't it better to just put all our energy into building like much, you know, much fewer but bigger plants?
1: Right. Um it would be ideal except for the fact that Building these things is a massive undertaking from a construction standpoint and a project development standpoint. They do take a long time and they are very costly. Um, and it's really hard to sort of bring these bigger plants to remote areas and, and use them, uh, in those communities. And, and there's a big push for small modular reactors to be used for things other than electricity production so like you can use them for serviceable heat uh, hydrogen production if you're into that thing and a a whole slew of other things uh, that traditional plants are usually just used for electricity
0: interesting so they're a bit more multifunctional, and i suppose the way i'm thinking about it is like it's like you're building a lego like you're building you know smaller but more functional pieces and not moving on to the next section until that piece actually is providing some service as opposed to building this huge project that's gonna take you, you know, like years and years.
1: Right, and so it, it is one of those trade-offs cause you know, building the first of a kind of anything is you're always gonna have hiccups, but y- the ultimate thing is is cutting our costs as much as possible and the things that take the longest which are construction and things like that. So I like the comparison to Lego a lot. Um, Because it is very much like that, uh, where you just bring pieces together and and put some together. Except in this case, uh, I think they're a little bit better at designing than I would be with Lego.
0: (laughs) Yeah, same. (laughs) Um, So why exactly? I mean, I guess I'm wondering here, why didn't, like, what's wrong with Pickering? Like, what's wrong with the Pickering nuclear plant? Why do we need to pour money into more small modular reactors right now? Wasn't Pickering doing a pretty good job? And, you know, I think there's, what, three other nuclear plants in our province? What's wrong with those?
1: Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with them. I think this is sort of like the next iteration of, of development for reactors. In, in terms of Pickering, it is a very old, old plant. It's been around since, like, the early 70s, I believe, um, and, and a lot of the, the bustle around that and closing down, uh, was really about the, the refurbishment costs. Cause you, you do have to like fix up these reactors over time and replace components and all that. But the good news is they did, uh, choose to keep it open for a bit longer, uh, to make up for the loss in the Darlington plant, because it turns out during summer months, we need a lot of energy to run our air conditioning.
0: So I suppose a lot of that in the, the you know, this public push to refurbish and keep these places up to date, I suppose it comes from, you know, a lot of fear about uh, when we talk about nuclear energy, it's not exactly a friendly sounding term um is that fear not a little bit valid still like why is this different than chernobyl building nuclear plants in ontario today like why explain to me why this whole small modular thing is not just building a bunch of little Chernobyls all over the place
1: right so first and foremost i think people's concerns are always valid i think it's always valid to ask questions about things you don't understand but with with the small modular reactors the There's a lot of reasons that Chernobyl can't happen with them uh, specifically. And the biggest one is that, um, they, well, one, have a containment structure, but also they are basically designed to run without human intervention. They can cool themselves. That's the ultimate goal here. And so you could just like some of these plants, you, the plan is you drop them in and you leave for 20 years and it just goes. And that's how it operates. And
0: what, what is that thanks to? What exactly is that advancement uh, You know, due to? Like where, why couldn't we do this before?
1: So a lot of it is just engineering around lessons learned, but also the lower power really facilitates this. With higher power, uh, you need a lot more control systems in place. Uh, to make sure that things are running smoothly because the, you know, the apparatus itself is larger. Um, so you need big, hefty machines to control the power output and things like that. Whereas with these smaller designs, that's not so much an issue.
0: So if the plan is to build them and leave them alone for 20 years, how <laughs> like what's the... What exactly is the, the system there that says, okay, you know, a uh, small modular reactor number, you know, 34 over there needs to be checked on by a human being?
1: It's just a lot of development in, in control systems and, and, you know, user interfaces. Like, it's still streaming to an operator somewhere. But in general, th- these are the plans moving forward. I don't see it happening for a long time. Uh, because we have a big regulatory body that governs all of these decisions to make sure it is the safest possible uh, energy production for the for the public. So it is going to be a long time in the future. Hopefully, before I'm 95, but you know that remains to be seen because there's a lot of regulatory frameworks that we have to work with in order to get to that point.
0: And just to clarify, you're saying you think it's going to be that long until the the reactors are built or until they're running themselves <laughs>
1: till till they're running themselves the 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 plan is to build these things before uh, before 2030 so some builds are slated for 2027 2026 area so it, you know it's a pretty exciting decade
0: yeah honestly it sounds like it um, but I, so how much money is going in? I guess this is probably something that a lot of people think about, especially when they're, you know, voting for people uh, to, to lead them. How much money have our leaders uh, dedicated towards this? And I guess like relatively, is it, you know, reasonable or are we spending like an astronomical amount of money on this for what it is?
1: So recently, uh, the Infrastructure Bank of Canada has donated almost a billion dollars, I think. I, I don't have the exact numbers for for other political bodies, but... It is interesting to note that the nuclear energy is one of those weird things that actually get bipartisan support, which is interesting. So there's leaders, you know, from Alberta and Saskatchewan, Ontario, and even the liberal government are supporting the development of SMRs right now, as well as New Brunswick. I don't wanna leave them out. They're a huge uh, nuclear community.
0: So how much energy is actually going to come out of these things?
1: So the upper range, is about 300 megawatts electric. So that's a ridiculous number that probably means nothing to a lot of people. But what that converts to is about 300,000 homes. you know. So that's it's quite substantial uh, for each of these. I didn't do the conversion to electric vehicles, but it's pretty large as well, obviously, because if you can power 300,000 homes, I think uh, the vehicle weighs there. But yeah, so it, it's a lot of energy, although they are smaller. <laughs> 300,000 homes is a lot of homes. Yeah,
0: that's like that's a very significant number of people. And especially with, um, you know, all the new immigrants that uh, find their way to Canada. This is probably a really big deal if we can, you know, just kind of plop these things down wherever we need them and say, you know, here, we're ready to build a community. We have the power.
1: Yeah, I think the the, really the barrier there is actually building the homes, probably as opposed (laughs) to the reactors.
0: So speaking of you know uh, increased populations and environmental impacts and all that um, what will the impacts on the environment be like for these kinds of things
1: yeah so a lot of it is basically just taking co2 out of the mix what the reactors will do is they you know they help with high energy demand so things like factories and industry and things like that like steam production for heating and and things which are traditionally done with like coal-fired power plants um, because you need really high temperatures. So it it seeks to create a greener infrastructure overall, aside from just electricity and taking those carbon out like emitters, like the coal plants and, and even vehicles, right? Like if you're gonna charge your Tesla or whatever, but the energy from the grid is from coal, is that really doing very much? So it it seeks to provide that really high energy output that is required by those industries and from our growing population in order to reduce our CO2 emissions moving forward.
0: So for context there, what is what does energy production in Ontario look like right now? like how much of it is still coming from CO2 emitting sources? Like how much, how much can we really, uh, eliminate by transitioning this province to nuclear?
1: Right. So our grid for electricity, at least is one of the greenest pretty much on the planet, uh, which is nice. Um, but again, it, it's sort of, if we're going to make that transition to electric vehicles and transition industry, we need, high power sources. So in that regard, they are still needed. And even a green electricity grid like ours, sort of transitioning those industries across the board is is going to be a huge undertaking uh, without nuclear power.
0: I think that's an interesting uh, aspect that a lot of people, myself included, have not, uh, not considered. So it's not just about renewable energy sources, but even within that category, there are some unique kind of aspects that we need from nuclear energy uh, as, you know, as far as the amount of power generation and the intensity of that uh, goes.
1: Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something I overlooked until I got into my graduate studies, honestly, because a lot of it is electricity based.
0: Interesting. What, what exactly were those graduate studies?
1: So basically it it was external to my degree, uh, but there was a talk by an economist who came in and was talking about what the societal impact of all these energy systems were on and he was mentioning all of these sectors that were often overlooked by government and it just switched on and i was like whoa okay there's there's a lot more going on here than what's being sort of promoted out in the open in terms of what we need to sort of greenify overall it's a it's a lot more work than just electricity
0: yeah i could imagine uh, honestly, it's, it's surprising to me even that, you know, someone who is doing a PhD in uh, nuclear physics, you know, you weren't exposed to these ideas until your postgraduate education. And, you know, it makes you think a lot of the people who are probably listening to this have definitely never heard um, or thought about this, this kind of thing before. I know I certainly have not given it a whole ton of thought. Well, thanks, Garrick, for bringing that expertise uh, to our conversation and to our listeners. If our listeners do want to know more about these small modular reactors uh, that are being built in Ontario, uh, any ideas where they can go to look for this kind of information?
1: Yeah. So the World Nuclear Association website, if you just Google that, has a lot of information just on the history. World Nuclear News always has... All of the nuclear news, as you could imagine, and those those are really good sources to sort of get the most up to date and like breaking news on these developments.
0: Great, well, thanks again, Garrick, and thank you again for tuning in. and Remember to subscribe for more conversations and some insightful answers to your questions about the science impacting your world. If you want to learn more about nuclear energy or any of the topics we've talked about on this show, visit us on Instagram or TikTok at Sci for Everyone and on our website at ScienceForEveryone.ca. On the Sidelines is a podcast by Science for Everyone. It's produced by Miriam Musa, Sam
1: Marchetti, and Connor Nelson, and edited by Jay Jarantonis.